How many of y'all have uh, been watching the Olympics? Yeah, me too. I think I'm on overdose uh, of the Olympics, but I love the Olympics. I I love uh, the competition. I love the, the the stories of the athletes that they give and being able to see what people accomplish. I don't know if you saw yesterday, but the the gentleman who's a bilateral uh, amputee being able to to run in the Olympics. I, I'm just I love stuff like that. Uh, probably my favorite thing is the relays when when whether it's swimming or running, just the teamwork of those guys working together. They're just always exciting. I, I Graham knows I, I can barely sit in the chair. I got to stand up and get in front of the TV and let's go go go. I just love it. So um, the other thing I think is neat about the Olympics is uh, the opportunity to see things happen for the first time in history. You know, every time uh, a world record is uh, made, we realize that that's never been done before. Um, at least it recorded uh, in wise, but uh, just neat to see that. And if you were watching this past week, you saw Michael Phelps do something that's never been done in history, right? Become the most decorated Olympic athlete in history. Uh, breaking what I understand is, is a 50-year record set by a uh, Soviet Union uh, gymnast by the name of Larissa Latadina, right? I think was her name. How many of y'all remember that amazing moment back in 1964 in the Olympic Games? <laughs> well, you don't remember that moment? Well, I, surely I know some of you weren't even born yet, and so that would explain it, but your parents told you about it, right? No. Okay, well... All right, so as significant as those moments are in the time in which we see them, clearly they fade in, with significance in time, don't they? But I bet it's different for the athletes. I bet Michael Phelps will never forget that moment that he broke that record and became the most decorated Olympic athlete in history. He'll never forget that. But I do wonder if in time, even for him, it fades with significance. I don't know about you, but even as I watched him compete this year, it wasn't the same as last Olympics, was it, four years ago in Beijing. Even he admitted that that he and his coach both didn't take things quite as seriously this year. Uh, They didn't train quite as hard this year. And I wonder if it's not because of the fact that after all the work they put in, after all the awards and accolades that came, Even as he said, having met every single goal that they had set out to accomplish, if there wasn't something that uh, happened where it just wasn't quite as significant as time went on in the grand scheme of life. And really, even though we're not Olympic athletes by any stretch, at least for me, um, we can relate to that fact because we too experience similar emotions in our life. We invest lots of of time and energy in our education. We strive for success in our careers. We even look to to marriage and family as our ultimate goal. But what we find is that as wonderful as these things are, they simply don't give us lasting fulfillment when our life is centered around them. And praise God for that. Praise God for the fact that we feel empty in our life when it is centered on anything other than Jesus Christ. That is a blessing. No matter how good these things are, we never experience their fullness outside of the completeness that we have in our walk with Jesus Christ. 
As I mentioned last week, what we're going to do this morning is, is take kind of the, the cumulative effect of all those seven I am statements that, that Jesus made and consider together what that means to you and I. As we do this, I want you to, to consider the soul-satisfying fullness of who we are in Christ. To appreciate the fact of because of who He is, this is who we are. And I am complete in Christ, only fulfilled in life through my relationship with Him. Everything else doesn't quite do it, no matter how good that thing may be. Before we look at that together, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. God, I just ask that as we open Your Word and consider the truths that came out of Your mouth, as You spoke these statements of who You are, that we will appreciate the weight of significance of what that means for who we are in you. May it really impress upon our hearts, upon our minds, upon our life, who we are in Christ. That we may be transformed by the truth of your word to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. This is our prayer as we spend time together this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, one of the passages that we looked at when we went through our study over the last uh, several weeks and months was a passage of a, a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. I want you to listen to what he says in this verse that, that we read together. It's talking about Jesus. And he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, It was for the Father's good pleasure, for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You'll remember that, that this verse was important because it would not make sense for us to have a conversation about what it means to be complete in Christ if Christ was not complete in himself. That would be like trying to, to fill up a glass with water when the glass you are using is only half full. But God makes it clear that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and all the fullness of God dwells in him. So like we talked about, when you see Jesus, you see God because Jesus is God. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Which is why Paul will make the statement later in that same letter, in verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, We proclaim Him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There it is. You are complete in Christ. You see, all the fullness of God in Christ is not in some kind of limited supply and insufficient for some, but but not all. Like that glass that's half full that can only go so far. No, the fullness of God in Christ is like a a spring of living water. It's a a never-ending supply. It's sufficient to complete every man who puts their faith and trust in Him. And here's why. Listen carefully. This is important. Because the fullness of God dwells in Christ, 
We can be complete in Christ because the fullness of God dwells in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that, because that, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? I want you to consider that fact, that, that we are complete in Christ because the fullness of God dwells in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Spirit of God is not in some kind of limited supply so that it's divided among His people in proportion to their faith. Hey, everybody make a, a cup like this with your hands. Okay? So God is not going around and saying, okay, let me pour a little bit over here for you and, and a little bit over here. Your cup's a little bigger. I'll pour a little bit more in your cup. Because if that's our perspective, then we get this false idea that as we grow in our faith, that we're somehow able to get more of the anointing of the Spirit in our life. And that's simply not how it works, at least not according to Scripture. The Holy Spirit cannot be divided because you cannot divide God. Just as the fullness of God dwells in Christ, the fullness of God dwells in the Spirit because... The Spirit is God. And so when you are in Christ, it's all there. It's all there. That's why the Bible says with confidence that you have everything you need for life and for godliness. And the the reason that's true is because the fullness of God dwells in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, we we know through our own experience that there is a transforming process that takes place in our life. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. As we are encouraged to grow in Christ, to, to mature in our faith. But what we need to understand is that as that happens... As we become more like Christ, we are not doing so because we're getting more of the Spirit. It's all there. We are complete in Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. The Spirit of God cannot be divided. The fullness of God dwells in you. So when we become more like Christ, it's not because we are getting more of the Spirit. Listen, it's because the Spirit is getting more of us. See the difference? You see, the life of faith is a journey of surrender as we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's so important as we understand the truths of who we are in Christ, as we take that cumulative effect of what Jesus said about Himself and and we answer that question, well, if that's who He is, then who am I? In Him. It's important that we understand that the fullness of God dwells in us. And, and that I must yield to God in faith in order to experience the fullness of who I am in Christ. Did you hear that? Let me give you a true confession from my own life just this past week. Many of you know we traveled to Dallas to see Terry's mom, who's been in a skilled nursing facility for a couple of months now. And, and her health has been up and down, and she's making progress. It's slow. But we knew that we needed to get to Dallas to spend some time with her before Terry starts school and to care for her um, as she continues to deal with health issues. 
all the time knowing that I'm still preaching this morning, right? I've still got a sermon to prepare, but it was the right thing to do. We needed to go spend that time in Dallas. So we go to Dallas, and we're beginning to do some things with her mom and, and prepare a meal for her and get her out of the skilled nursing facility for the first time since she's been there. And, and we're trying to take care of the boys and do things with them. And I began to, to realize, I don't know how I'm going to get a sermon done. I, I'm running out of time. So I told Terry, I said, listen, let me disappear in the seminary library. That's a familiar place for me from back when. And so let me go to the seminary library, and I'll work hard on Thursday to really dedicate the day to preparing a sermon. So I get there, and I sit down, and I've got everything going through my mind. I'm not at home with the boys. I need to be helping Terry. And I can't concentrate. (laughs) And I I can't get it done, and I start to panic. How am I going to get this done? And yet, I had just written what I just told you. And, it, and I realized that I cannot experience the fullness of who I am in Christ until I yield to Him in faith. Because it's all there. It was never less than what I ever needed. But my experience was only full when I put my trust in Him. See the difference? So let's think about that concept as we walk through these statements of who we are in Christ because of who He is. He says that He is the bread of life. And we need to understand that because He is the bread of life, I am fully satisfied in Him. You remember the miracle that He performed when He made that statement as He took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people, right? And even after everybody was completely full, they still went around and gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. So he was able to to meet every need. It was sufficient for all that were there and then some. Not a single person went home that day hungry. Not one. Well, in the same way, when you are in Christ, the same is true for you. Every time you look to Jesus to satisfy your spiritual hunger, he is always sufficient to meet your need. And then some. Every time you look to Jesus, he is sufficient to meet your needs. And then some. Like manna from heaven, he is our faithful provision so that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are satisfied in him. When we mourn, we are comforted. When we approach the throne of grace with confidence, we find that we receive mercy and we find grace to help us in the time of our need. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus as the bread of life, He becomes our daily sustenance and we are eternally satisfied in Him. Because of who He is, that's who I am. You see, I can be satisfied in Him because I know I know that He is the light of the world, and in Him I am forgiven. You see, the main reason, really, that we are satisfied in Him is because that we understand that we are forgiven by Him. Because without the light of Christ in our life, we walk in darkness. Without the Spirit of truth in our life, we live in deception. There is no hope of salvation apart from the light of Christ. Because sin like a cancer, remains hidden, silently killing us. It is the reality. 
But if we walk in the light, John says, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with God and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sin, he goes on to say, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Which is why we said that Christians are people of confession. Because the light of Christ in our life reveals our sin and leads us to the cross where we always find forgiveness. As Paul tells the Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Our relationship with the light of the world gives us confidence in our confession because we know that he is faithful to forgive. It is the light of Christ that leads us in a path of obedience so that we are no longer walking in darkness. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, the light of Christ is our guide. It's a a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You remember the backpacking trip I told you about that I took earlier this summer where me and a group of guys went and we arrived real late at light, like midnight. And we knew that we had to hit the trail, so we put on our headlamps and start to chart a course and get on the trail. And we can only see the, the, the light, uh, the path, because of the light that's shining at our feet in front of us. And so we got a real picture of that, that passage. And that was exciting and all, but let me tell you something. The next morning when we woke up, And the sun came out. We had no idea of the beauty of God's creation that surrounded us that we simply could not see in the darkness. It was amazing. In a similar way, our faith in Jesus expands our view to allow us to see things that we had never experienced before. When we enter through the door of Christ... We experience a freedom not previously known. You remember as Jesus made this statement, he used the analogy of a sheep pen where multiple flocks of sheep were being kept for safety while their shepherd was away. This was a a temporary holding place and not a place that they were intended to stay for a great length of time. But while they were there, Jesus talked about how the, the thief and the robber came to, to cause trouble. You remember that. And, and they wouldn't go through the door. They would climb over the wall, he said, and create all kinds of, of fear and confusion because that was their goal. Their primary objective was to keep you contained by restricting your movement as you live within the barrier of their control, weighing you down with rules and and regulations that that steal your joy, kill your freedom, and destroy any hope of peace with God. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. If anyone enters through me, he says, you will be saved. You will go in and out and find pasture. You remember how we talked about that that is a, that is a message of freedom. And the freedom to live within the vast expanse of God's loving care. So that when the Son of God shines His light in your life, the beauty of His creation surrounds you. And you can see with clarity the good works that He has prepared beforehand that you get to walk in. 
And so instead of being ruled by by fear and selfish gain, you now live in the liberating freedom of love. Caring for the needs of others is more important than your own. Sin is no longer your master. You've been released from the burden of having to fend for yourself. You now live in the loving protection and faithful provision of the Good Shepherd. And when Jesus is your good shepherd, you need to know you are secure. You are secure. In that same analogy, Jesus talks about how the hired hand abandons his sheep in the face of danger. But the good shepherd, he says, lays down his life for his sheep. And you'll remember how we talked about that, that Jesus is not risking his life by somehow trying to protect his life as he's trying to save yours. No, the good shepherd voluntarily lays down his life because he understands that his sacrifice is the only means by which you can be saved. Scripture tells us that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. It also tells us that the sacrifice of those goats and bulls is insufficient for the cause. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, When he writes, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified by faith. There's your security. There's your security. By laying down his life, he has perfected for all time those who have made, been made acceptable in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's on this basis that, that Jesus can say, my sheep know me. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they never perish. And Paul, I believe, understanding those words is the reason that he writes that I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Because when Jesus is your good shepherd, there is no person There is no circumstance. There is nothing seen or unseen that can snatch you out of his hand. He made that promise. And when he is your good shepherd, you are secure. From the very moment that you put your faith and trust in him, your eternal destiny was determined. This was the truth that Jesus gave to Martha when he spoke to her at the tomb of Lazarus. He wanted her to understand, along with with you and I, that, that what he was about to do was more than just another miracle. This was a message. A message of hope for all those who put their faith and trust in him. Knowing that because he is the resurrection and the life, that we too are made alive together with Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians when he writes, But God being rich in mercy 
because of His great love with which He loved us. Even while we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Paul makes it clear that we were dead in our sin. Like Lazarus, we were wrapped in grave clothes and placed in a tomb of spiritual death. Scripture tells us that in that condition, we were without hope and without God in the world. But then God called our name. And when we answered that call, we walked out of that tomb of death and He made us alive together with Christ. Paul says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And so Paul wants us to understand that when we put our trust in Christ, we are not looking back on some event in the past. We're we're not looking forward to some future event that will take place when God's power will be revealed. Although those things may be true, when Jesus Christ dwells in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power is what enables you to live for Him right here and now. We are alive in Christ because Christ is alive in us through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is what motivates us. It's what empowers us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to to fulfill the mission that He has created us for. Remember, apart from Him, you can do nothing. He is the vine. We are the branches. As we learned last week, we have been chosen and appointed for a purpose. This world is not our home, and so God has given us a mission. Paul puts it this way when he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. And we do that by abiding in the vine so that our life produces the fruit of faith. The fruit of following God's will, fulfilling God's purpose, and walking in the fullness of God's joy. We have been commissioned to continue the work that, that Jesus started as we give to others out of the overflow of who we are in Christ. And remember, it's not because we've got it all together or because we're perfect. No, in fact, we are being perfected by the work of the Spirit in us. And we want others to come to know the redemption of God that continues its work in us even now. We want to share the gospel by living the truth of the gospel so that we can say like Paul that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That's our message. We are complete in Christ because He is complete in us. And these truths become my experience as I surrender my life to Him. It's what allows me to say with confidence, because of who He is, 
This is who I am. Now, I hope that to some degree this is a little bit overwhelming to you. (laughs) I hope that the fullness of who we are in Christ impresses upon you in such a way that, that you are overwhelmed with God's goodness. And I really want this to sink in so that you don't leave here without really appreciating the significance of this. And so I want you to pull out your bulletin if you don't already have it. So go ahead and pull out your bulletin. If you don't have one, I want you to look on with someone, okay? Because here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take and I'm going to read the first part of this. Because of who you are in Christ, I'm going to read that first part. Because he is the bread of life. And then what I want you to do in first person, I want you to be able to repeat what you see written there. I am satisfied. I am forgiven. I am free. Okay? See how it's going to work? So let's do this together. Because he is the bread of life, I am satisfied. Because he is the light of the world, I am forgiven. Because he is the door, I am free. Because he is the good shepherd, I am secure. Because he is the resurrection and the life, I am empowered. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, I am indwelled. Because he is the vine, I am appointed. Because of who he is, that is who you are. Are. And my prayer is that you will experience the fullness of who you are in Christ as you surrender by faith in God. That you trust Him to do things through you that you cannot do on your own. And I hope this is good news to you. I hope that as you listen to this, you appreciate the significance of what God has accomplished on your behalf so that you can be complete in Him as you learn to grow and put your faith and trust in Him. That is who you are because of who He is. Now this morning we're going to take communion. I I saved it to the end because I wanted you to celebrate communion with a full appreciation of what it represents. Everything we just talked about in terms of who we are in Christ was made possible because of the sacrifice that He made on your behalf. And that's what I want you to have in your mind. And I'm just going to give us a little bit of time to to focus on that as we appreciate the significance of the good news that is celebrated at this table. And I want you to listen to this message through this video before we do that.